Thanks, band. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you all. My name is Alan. Good to be with you. And I don't know or haven't met most of you, but there is something that I do know about you. I know that there are things in your life that you should do that you're not doing. I know that about you because I know myself. That's a pretty bold statement to make, right? I mean, how many of you have Halloween candy sitting around somewhere in your home? Either it's leftover stash from your own giveaways or you know where your kid's stash is and you have access to it. And so part of it here, a couple weeks away from Halloween, is just thinking it's still there. I, I don't want to waste it. Uh, I, don't, I think it, I should you know, continue to enjoy it while it is still available. After all, they are called snack size, so how really bad can they be if I have 15 or 20 a day? How really bad could that end up being? We all have things that we should be doing or we're not doing, or we shouldn't be doing that we are doing, that we know we should be flossing our teeth, we know we should be having backup files on our computer uh, that maybe we're not doing, and some of you even right now are going, oh, great, and then you're going to be fretting for the next uh, rest of our time here today. We know we should be cleaning out the garage because now the fin- finally the weather is better and so we can get into the garage, and then we won't think about it again until June of next year. We know that we should be reading more and watching less TV. Most of us kind of rumble through that. We know we should be going to bed earlier than what we are and, and that, that the uh, getting up early time is more productive for most of us than the go-to-bed time. And so there's a bunch of things that we bounce around. We should be doing this. We know that we should forgive people. That's not a a big, huge uh, uh, surprise that this is a concept that we should think about or consider, that if you've had any interaction with the church whatsoever, then you would be familiar with the Lord's Prayer that clearly says that, God, forgive us our trespasses, our debts, the things that we owe, the mistakes that we've made, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And so there's not a lack of clarity in terms of the whole forgiveness piece, but it sometimes fits into this category of, yeah, I know I should, but I'm not sure I'm ready to clean out my garage just yet. Forgiveness, in some ways, is kind of like Brussels sprouts. We know it's good for us. There's really not a big issue. Most people don't debate. You know, I don't eat Brussels sprouts because I think they're unhealthy. And I think overall they do something to my stomach. And they think the humans shouldn't be eating Brussels sprouts. They're, they're for rabbits. And so we should stay away from them for the health of all humankind. Most people don't take that position. We, we know Brussels sprouts are good for us. We, some people decide I'm going to get them down somehow. I'm going to figure out a way to get them down because they're good for me. Or others just say, no, life's too short, and I'm not going to endure that. Or I'm just going to douse them in salt and make them really crispy, burnt to a crisp, and then maybe I'll tolerate them, etc. But again, there's things in our lives that we should do that we're not quite doing. So today, as we talk about uh, forgiveness... Most of us don't wrestle so much with whether or not it's a good thing, it's a valuable thing. But what we want to do today is, is talk about how we can actually make that happen. Today is, is less about information and it's more about inspiration in terms of the beauty and the power of this thing that we're very familiar with, this idea of forgiveness. 
Would you bow your heads with me? Father, I'm thankful for the people gathered here in this space that we have come because we want to draw closer to you. And so, Father, we thank you that you are here, that you meet with us here in this room. I pray that we would be open to uh, what you have for us in terms of forgiveness, that there's a lot of resistance in this area of our lives, God, but that we would just come with open hands for your plan for us here today, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, if you were not here with us last week, we started a brief two-week series called The Flow of Forgiveness. And so part one last week looked at the first part of this flow, and that is our response when people hurt us, when people need us to forgive them. Whatever the hurt is, what is our first response? And we looked at the reality that our natural first response is to strike back, is to hurt back. Somebody hurts me, I want to hurt back. And Paul clearly says in Romans chapter 12, do not repay anyone evil for evil. So the the first response to someone hurting us is to not hurt them back. Okay, let's start with that. That's what we talked about last week. And now step, but it's a beautiful and powerful step in the New Testament. It's wrote a, a letter, chapter 3, verse 13, and looking at a few different things from that verse. To the forgiveness piece, any engineer or carpenter or architect understands Uh, or a mechanic, understands you can't put a a four-inch cylinder into a four-inch hole. You can't have an exactly four-inch cylinder and put it into a four-inch hole. You have to have some wiggle room. You have to make allowance in order for those two pieces to fit together. There has to be some wiggle room, some grace, Even the greatest athletes in the world have to have some wiggle room. We have to make allowance for them because even they're not perfect. Your favorite quarterback is going to miss a throw every once in a while. The greatest quarterbacks in the world, they're still going to throw interceptions periodically. The greatest hockey goalie in the world is still going to periodically let a soft goal in. You hope it doesn't happen at, at the wrong time. But we have to have some grace, some wiggle room, even for our favorite athletes. That the, the guys in the uh, major league who get millions of dollars for standing out in the outfield and spitting on the ground, even these guys have to have wiggle room to miss a pop fly every once in a while. That, that if we live life with this thing hovering over us that says, if you screw up, you're done. If you screw up, you're gone. If you screw up, you're done. If we live life with that thing hovering over us, it's debilitating. It's difficult. If you are the kind of person, kind of boss, kind of leader, kind of parent who allows no wiggle room 
for others, you're probably difficult to deal with. That we, we need wiggle room. We need to make allowance for each other's faults in our parenting, in our marriage, at work, with our employees, etc. We need to have some level of wiggle room. We need to make allowance for each other's faults. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. At least I think I know what some of you are thinking. That well, what, what happens when people take advantage of that? And so we make allowance for somebody else's faults, and then they just, they just jump in and they take advantage of it, and, and there's no change uh, whatsoever. How, how are we supposed to handle that? You know, forgiveness in one hand is, is a simple thing, and we all generally understand it, but then it's also a pretty complex thing. We understand that we should forgive, but there are elements of forgiveness that are understandably tricky, because the reality is that forgiveness is never void of circumstances, of consequences, pardon me. Forgiveness is never void of consequences, and so, so it, it's not that there's always wiggle room and that wiggle room always stays the same. I think there are times when that wiggle room changes based on the circumstances because the consequences may change over time. Sometimes in marriage, uh, you know, I've, I've met some couples and walked through the stories of some couples here in our church. You know, we, we have every Monday night, we have what's called Marriage Mondays. Every Monday night we meet here in this room and there are courses going on, ongoing courses, but it is an available event every Monday night for any marriage here in the community to just come for free and just come and maybe get a check-in or have some questions answered or have somebody pray for you and that we would pour into marriages. And marriage is, is, is a is an institution that requires forgiveness on an ongoing basis. But there are times when a marriage has a repeated, has to, in a repeated way, deal with some kind of ongoing sin, some kind of ongoing fault. It may be revisiting the reality of a porn addiction or revisiting the reality of a substance addiction. And you revisit it again and again and again. And what happens after the 7th, 8th, 12th, 15th time? What happens to that wiggle room? What happens to that, um, that allowance? Again, forgiveness is not void of consequences. And there are times where the most loving thing to do is to change the plan a little bit and say, okay, you know what? I, we're not going to handle this the same way we have in the past. That if, if, if you go down that road again, it's, there are going to be different consequences. Sometimes that, a marriage requires us to do that. And again, that might be the most loving thing to do in that situation. But that happens after 10, 15 times. We don't get to say that to one another in marriage after one screw-up. This is not a good conversation to have on your wedding night to say, here's my list, here's my list. Any of these 10 things that you don't do, and number one is me watching golf, and anything on this list that you don't do, uh, uh, we're done. That's, that, is, that is a honeymoon killer, let me just tell you. But Paul says, make allowance for each other's faults. There's wiggle room that has to happen there. You, you don't offer perfection, so you really shouldn't expect it. We, we really 
need to make allowance for each other's imperfections. Paul continues the next section of this verse. He says, and forgive anyone who offends you. And there's the, the simple reality. And forgive anyone who offends you. Again, it's just, it's, there, there isn't a big debate about whether or not this is consistent with Scripture. There isn't a big issue or debate on this. It's so clearly laid out in here. We are to forgive one another. Forgive anyone who offends you. You know, as, as a, a pastor for a number of years, this is a topic that gets a whole lot of pushback. Perhaps as much as any other topic, the topic of forgiveness has a lot of pushback, a lot of conversations, a lot of follow-up emails, a lot of what about this situation, or what about that situation? And they're good questions. They're very real and understandable situations. How are we supposed to handle this? It's a difficult topic, especially when we get into what I touched on last week, just the whole reality of, of forgiving one another 77 times that Peter asked Jesus, says, well, how many times are we supposed to forgive somebody? Should we forgive somebody seven times? And Jesus says 77 times. Else, sometimes it's translated in that same verse, sometimes it's translated 70 times seven. So most of us like to read the 77 version. But it's somewhere between 77 and 490. It's a whole lot. And so it's understandable for us to just say, man, how does that work? It's, part of it just doesn't even make sense. You hurt me. I respond well by not hurting you, and I forgive you. And then you hurt me, and I respond well by not hurting you, and then I forgive you. And you hurt me. Wait a second. 77 times? 490 times? Here's something I've discovered about the topic of forgiveness. It's not a popular subject. It's not a subject that most of us wake up in the morning and go, oh, I can't wait to go to church and talk about forgiveness today. It, it's not one that we're excited about. Most of us, if we're honest, are not all that open to adjustments in this area of our lives. Some part of Scripture or the Lord's Prayer that talks Verses like this and in many other places, forgive anyone who offends you. Really up for that. Most of us have people in our lives that will forgive. And you, you love them and you're gracious towards them and you understand the power of forgiveness and you have forgiven them and you will continue to forgive them. And it's a, probably a large group of people. Most people in your life, most of us also have a group of people that we would say, yeah. yeah. We, we're familiar with what Scripture says. Yeah, that's not going to happen. Yeah, I, I've... I've thought about it, and I understand, I've read it, and it's not going to happen over here, so preacher boy, don't tell me who I'm supposed to forgive. I'm not interested. 
and that door is closed. Now, it's my job to challenge you to do things that you don't want to do. Otherwise, why do I even do this whole thing? So, so we've gathered here in this space. So, so let, me just, let me just poke you a little bit on this issue, particularly if there's any category here of a person that you perhaps are saying, unforgivable. It's not going to happen. Hopefully you received a little piece of paper on the way in. It's a tiny little card. It's a two-sided card, and on one side of that card, it simply says, not yet forgiven. What I want to ask you to do is write down the name of someone in your life who would be in this second category. Maybe it's a name. Maybe it's a few names. Maybe it's your whole fifth grade class. I don't know what your story is, but that you would just take a moment, and I ask that you, if you didn't get one of these pieces of paper, you can take the, the card in the seat in front of you, you can just take any piece of paper or whatever, but I ask if possible, if you would have an actual physical piece of paper, there are pens in front of you, you can borrow one from the person next to you, whatever, but I want you to just take a moment and write down a name. Some of you might have a hard time doing this. Maybe there isn't somebody who's unforgiven in your life. Fantastic. Others of you might wish that the paper was larger. But would you just take a moment, just a few seconds, write down a name or a few names of people in your life that you are currently unwilling to forgive? That was easy, right? So far, painless. So far, so good. Thanks for doing that. Thanks for your honesty. You can hide it, protect it, stuff it back in your pocket, whatever. What did he or she do? Just kind of bounce around your mind. What did he or she do that was unforgivable? Do you remember that song from a ways back? Nat King Cole sang a duet with his daughter. Unforgivable. That's what you are, unforgivable. I think there was a different version of the song as well. But What did he or she do that was unforgivable? And what, what allows us to get to the point of, of saying this was an unforgivable offense? How do we make that determination to say, okay, this is forgivable and this is not? Who gets to decide that? Do we, each, each and every one of us, do we personally get to decide that? that? That these are things that in my life are unforgivable. And I don't care about other people's situations or whatever, but in my life. Or is, are there universal unforgivable things? Just that if somebody does this kind of thing to another human being, that's unforgivable. We all should embrace that. If they're unforgivable things, have you ever done anything unforgivable to somebody else. Most likely you haven't. 
Most likely, people have done unforgivable stuff to us, but we haven't done that to somebody else. I mean, let's be, let's be honest here. What, what puts something in the category of unforgivable? For those of you who have a relationship with Jesus and understand the forgiveness that comes, the grace that comes when we, allow, when we invite Jesus to be the Lord of our lives, we have a restored relationship with God, and so we are forgiven of our faults, our trespasses, our sins, etc. Those of you who have a relationship with Jesus and understand that, do you believe that you are forgiven no matter what you've done or no matter what you could do? Do you believe that that's what that whole thing is all about? Have you been forgiven 77 times by your Father in heaven? Have you been forgiven 490 times? Have you ever in your life lied to God and said, I will never do this again, this thing, whatever this is? Have you made that proclamation 77 times? I have. I have said to God, I will never do this again 77 times about the same issue. <laughs> and yet, we're still forgiven. Which makes Paul's words here so powerful. You can go back to, remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Remember, keep this in mind. The Lord forgave you. So that's how you were treated in terms of forgiveness. So time and time again, Scripture says, and parables talk about this idea, God has forgiven us, and so we need to pass that on to others. It is, it is a clear, clear mandate in Scripture. As you think about the person that is not yet forgiven, who it feels like he or she has done something unforgivable. Most likely when that happens in our lives, somebody has taken something from us. Most likely somebody has, has taken part of our childhood. Somebody has taken our innocence or the innocence of someone we care about. Somebody has taken your career, your marriage, your hopes and dreams for the future. Most likely, if somebody is in the unforgivable category, they have taken something of great value from you. Would you take another minute, and on the other side of that card, it says, taken from me. Would you just write down, if you can think of something that that person that you wrote on the other side of the card, that that person or those persons have taken from you, can you write that down on the other side there? Take a minute. What has that person taken from you? Just a word, a phrase, whatever comes to mind.
Okay, that, that's a little deeper there. That goes, that goes a little bit deeper than the first side of the card. What has this person taken from you? The concept of forgiveness in the ancient world, in the New Testament, is a little bit different than our understanding of the word forgiveness. That the word forgiveness, literally in Greek, it means to let go, to send away, to release. That's what the word means. It's an action word. We understand forgiveness typically as a psychological issue. It's a thought or it's a feeling. To say, I I feel like I've forgiven someone or that I need forgiveness or whatever. But in the ancient world, it was more of an action than a feeling. And so when we talk about forgive someone's debts, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, that literally they were talking about finances. That was a part of the understanding of the word forgiveness. You release someone for literally taking the action of saying, you don't owe me anymore. It's not just a thought or a feeling. It's an action step to say, you did owe me some money. You don't owe me any money anymore. I'm releasing you from that debt. They also used the word forgiveness when they talked about freeing a prisoner. That they would say, you would, you would forgive a prisoner and literally let them out of prison. That it was an action. It wasn't just a, I feel like you're forgiven, but I'm going to keep you in jail. It's a, it's, a, it's a literal release. I forgive you from captivity. When we have a name on that card, someone who's not yet forgiven, who we believe or feel like has done something that is unforgivable, then essentially what we're doing is we're, we're keeping that person in prison. We're, we're trying to. We're making an attempt to try to punish that person by keeping that person in prison. And so why would we want to do that? Why would we want to make... I mean, just imagine it was a physical reality of keeping somebody in a prison. Why would you want to do that? Why would you want to watch this person and walk out your life with this person in that jail. You've got to take care of that jail. You've got to build a jail. You've got to, you've got to feed that person. You've got to clean up over that person. You've got to listen to that person complaining. You've got to listen to that person beg for them to be released or whatever the situation might be. Why do you want to have that in your life? Why, why would you not just open the door and say, you know what? I, I need to be free from this. Forgiveness is an action Forgiveness is about releasing. It's literally, to forgive is to send away, to release something that is a part of our lives that is is not doing us any good. When you think of things that may have been written on the other side of that card, things that this person has taken from you, most of the time when someone that we need to forgive or that's difficult to forgive in our lives They have taken something from us that cannot be replaced. They have taken something from us and it cannot be paid back. So I can only imagine what some of the things that you wrote on that card would be. That if your father left you when you were a young boy or a young girl, you can never get those childhood years back. They can never be replaced. Those three years or 10 years or 20 years that, that a parent had walked away, abandoned you and your family. If somebody had 
violated you or violated somebody that you care about. You cannot get that, that exact innocence back. It cannot be repaid. We, we take that to the Lord and, and, and God will, will purify us and, and God can do amazing, beautiful things. But what that person took from you or from someone you care about, it cannot be paid back. doesn't matter how long they're in prison. A boss who fired you for reasons that you don't think are fair, can, they're not going to give you your job back. Even if they do, they can't restore the situation the way it was in the past. An ex-husband or an ex-wife cannot give you those years of marriage back. They cannot be repaid. We cannot turn the clock back. We cannot go back in time. These things cannot be repaid. So why do we spend so much time and energy and pain and frustration trying to, to recover something that can never be repaid? Which is why it's helpful to think of forgiveness as a release. To say, I'm, I'm hanging on to this thing. I'm, I'm hanging on to this until it can get repaid or replaced. But it's not going to happen. And so forgiveness means I, I release it. I let go of this debt that is owed me. I let go of this prisoner in my life. In 1993, there was a 16-year-old named O'Shea who was at a party and ended up at the party. Things got out of hand and ended up shooting and killing another young man at the party named Larry. Larry's mom was a woman named Mary, and Larry was her one and only child. It was obvious that O'Shea had done the offense and so they went to trial and did that whole process, and O'Shea went to jail. And through that process, Mary, who understands the power of forgiveness, made great efforts to forgive this man who killed her son. And so she said, as part of the trial and as part of the media coverage of the event, she said, I forgive this man for, forgiven for uh, killing her son. But as the years went on that O'Shea was in prison and Mary was going on with her life, she realized there was something inside of her that was eating her away. That she realized she said the words, but she did not release O'Shea. She had not, she had not fully done that. And so uh, the forgiveness, the true release, the true send away, the true freedom of, of forgiveness had not, uh, had not happened for her. And this was eating away at her for years and years and years and years. The anger and the bitterness was just collecting and gathering. Twelve years later, O'Shea is now in prison. He's a 28-year-old man. And Mary decides she needs to meet him. She needs to see him face to face. So she requests a meeting with O'Shea in prison. And he turns her down. Because he expects after this many years with this person, all that's going to happen is that she is going to give him a piece of her mind and he's not interested in taking all that. He just, doesn't, he just doesn't have to, so he doesn't want to. He's not going to do it. He turned her down. But it didn't go away for her. Even though she had offered, it didn't go away for her. And nine months later, she tried again to have a meeting with O'Shea. And this time he said yes. 
They met at a place where it wasn't a, a, a glass wall between them. They, they sat down presumably at a, at a table across from one another. And you can imagine the tension. What, what do you talk about? What do you say to the man who killed your son? What do you say to the, to the woman whose son you killed? And Mary started the conversation off by saying, I don't know you and you don't know me. So let's start there. It was just this admission of, we know the story, we know what happened, etc. But I don't know who you are, and you don't know who I am. So can we just start there and see what happens? And O'Shea, fortunately, was, was willing to go there. And they talked for hours. Hours. They sat and they talked and they listened and they, and they, and they, and they entered into the world of the other person for hours at the end, O'Shea, who had been in prison for 12 years and nine months for killing Mary's son, at the very end of their conversation stood up and said, Mary, can I give you a hug? And she stood up and kind of reluctantly, but O'Shea went over and wrapped his arms around her. And her telling of the story says that when, when he hugged her, that something burst inside her and she she started weeping she just was overwhelmed crying by the moment of them connecting and they actually started a unique bond Mary and O'Shea a unique mother child kind of bond and she would come by on a regular basis and meet with him and love on him and have conversations with him. And, and you know, her son was gone. And so here's this other young man that she was pouring into. And, and he loved the idea of this woman who was giving him a second chance that would inspire him to actually want to give himself a second chance. And four years later, he was released from prison and, and Mary held him a party celebrating his freedom. And then it turns out, this is just... This is just incredible. It's a true story. There was an apartment right next to hers that was vacant. She found out about it right when he was coming out of, of prison, etc. And she asked him if, if he would be interested in living in that apartment, and he, and he moved in. So here he is, she is living right next door to O'Shea, continuing this unique bond. This is a picture of them. That's Mary with O'Shea hanging over her, and that's a picture of her son, Larry. My favorite part of the story is, is her saying that that moment when she was hugged, that she felt something burst inside her that there was something that she had been hanging on to, this, this anger and this bitterness. And she finally released it. That's the beauty and the power and the freedom of forgiveness. That when we continue to have a person in our lives, that we just say, this is unforgivable. I'm not going there. I don't care how many sermons I hear, I don't know how many times I read scripture that says forgive one another. I'm not going there. It's not going to happen. But this this is the kind of thing, this kind of release is what God wants for us in these areas of unforgiveness in our lives. So as we close today, I want to give you an opportunity to symbolically release 
the unforgiveness that you have for the person written on that card. The band's going to come out in just a few moments and they're going to lead us through a song. During that song, I invite you to uh, just come forward. We're going to stand during the song and I invite you to just make your way forward. We have two crosses up front set up here. And at the foot of these crosses is a basket. And what I invite you to do is to come and take that card and just release the card into the basket. And what that symbolizes is that there's a forgiveness that we're called to do that we can't do on our own. But by the power of Jesus, we we can forgive. We can have a release in ourselves that we long to have. Paul says here in verse 13, remember the Lord forgave you. That the cross is a symbol of the, the grace of the forgiveness that is offered to us. So may we have a symbol today of saying, I want to let this go. I don't want to hang on to anger and bitterness anymore. It's time for some of you to let it go, to release it and experience the beauty and the joy and the freedom of forgiveness. Would you stand with me? I want to pray and then we'll... uh, have this time. Father in heaven, I pray that you would come and release the power of your Holy Spirit here in this room. God, that you would release forgiveness here in this room, that you would remind us that you have forgiven us and that you would give us the power and the strength to come and release what feels like an unforgivable sin against us, God. I pray that something beautiful and supernatural would happen here in this room as we trust you with this stuff. We lay it at the foot of the cross. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.